Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, this is Adam from Toronto, and I support Creative Control because Vish is full stop one of the best arts interviewers in Canada, or anywhere in the world, really. He approaches every episode like he's known the artist for years, creating a conversational atmosphere that gets straight to the heart of the work. No one else in podcasting gets it quite right like he does, with a mixture of meticulous research, wise artistic insights, and well-humored personal connections. I proudly support Vish and Creative Control on Patreon. You should, too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Doug March is a gifted, influential, and multi-talented musician, songwriter, and singer currently based in Portland, Oregon. Originally from and a longtime resident of the state of Idaho, March formed the powerful band Built to Spill in 1992, and over the course of 10 albums and relentless touring, he is not only the band's driving force, its purposefully fluid membership means that he remains its only original member. After working with various other labels, Built to Spill makes its Sub Pop Records debut on September 9th, 2022, when the label releases the band's stunning new album, When the Wind Forgets Your Name. 
Doug and I caught up recently for a talk about his time in Boise, Idaho, and why he's on the move after living there for some three decades. The Tree Fort Music Festival in Boise and Sappy Fest in Sackville, why Built to Spill is always changing, and its current touring members, two of whom hail from Brazil and speak minimal English, the sound of and lyrical themes on When the Wind Forgets Your Name, his current thoughts about his own songwriting, guitar playing, and singing, the mind-altering aspects of dreams and psychedelics, his influences and love of reggae, new songs, touring again, other future plans, and more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control. With additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and friendly staff who will happily help you fulfill your orders. Say you want to order the new Built a Spill album, When the Wind Forgets Your Name. Go to blackbird.ca and see if they can help you out. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 713 of Creative Control. Featuring the lovely and talented Doug March of Built to Spill with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Doug. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm well. It's nice to speak with you. I'm a, a fan. It means a lot to me. Uh, first of all, where in the world are you? I'm in Boise, Idaho right now. Boise, Idaho. Now, you've been there a long, long time. Is that fair to say? It's true. Um, but I spent the <laughs> summer in Portland, living in Portland. and So I'm here in Boise just for a couple of days, staying at an Airbnb, um, waiting oh. for our bus to go on tour. And then I'm going to go back to Portland and live. Oh, okay. So Boise is no longer... Uh, Boy, for those who don't know, Boise has been a home base for you for a long, long time. I was sort of making a joke, but that's your home base, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't know, 30 years or so. 30 years, right. Where are you from originally again? I grew up in Twin Falls, Idaho, and moved here, Boise, when I started high school. And then a year, a couple years after high school, I moved to Seattle for about three years and then been back in Boise for ever since then. What is Boise sort of known for beyond uh, Built to Spill? What do we, uh, what do people know about Boise? I'm not that familiar with it. Um, uh, Idaho's the potato place. Um, I don't know. There's Potatoes. actually a really great music festival. Um, 10 years ago, started here, Tree Fort Music Festival. So it's that's becoming a, a well-known thing now. How many people attend the Tree Fort Festival, would you say? What's the capacity? I don't even know. Thousands, you know. Tens of thousands? Um, I, I don't know. I have a hard okay. time judging. It's a lot of people. It's a big <laughs> festival, and it's like all through downtown, and there's a big main stage. Um, but yeah, it's definitely thousands oh. of people. Oh, it's a downtown festival. It's not like in a field or something. No, it's right in town. It's nice. All the div- all of these local venues and and uh, in a parking lot for an outside main stage. 
This reminds me of uh, one of my favorite festivals in the world. I hope maybe someday you can make it to Sackville, New Brunswick. There's a festival mm. called Sappy Fest that was uh, initially started by, uh, do you know, are you familiar with the artist Julie Duaron? She was in Eric's Trip, which was a sub pop oh, band. Uh-huh. And Julie yeah. had some sub pop records as well. Yeah. So she no. uh, she had a record label called Sappy and they turned it into this. Um, Sackville is a very small college town, university town in Canada. But they do the same thing. The streets are taken over. Uh, there's a tent, and it's it's wonderful. I'm not just advocate. I like it. I don't. I'm not. I've never lived there. Mm-hmm. I've had no real involvement, but I've gone a lot, and it sounds like it's the same uh, spirit. So anyway, that's that's nice. cool. Like uh, you've played uh, this festival in in Boise uh, before. I'm guessing. Yeah, we've played it every year, all ten years. Every single year. Well, that sounds yeah. like collusion. Who <laughs> who do you know? It's on a that? little bit of that. I don't, I don't know. I just uh, we just get invited. Do, do no, you, yeah, we're good. We're good friends with the with the guy who puts it together. He's he's even tour managed us a little bit. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, this guy Eric Gilbert. So we've been we've been lucky enough to get a play all the time. Sometimes we play multiple times. We usually play multiple times. Oh, like we're, in a, in a really weekend? <laughs> You'll play a yeah. couple times in a weekend? Okay. Uh-huh. Now, now you talked about the potatoes. I know Idaho is being famous for potatoes. Uh, wow. Well, it's world-renowned, Idaho. Well, sorry, I shouldn't say that. I wasn't I know, sure. I know a fair amount about America. Maybe that's the difference between <laughs> me and other people. But here in, uh, again, I mentioned the East Coast, New Brunswick. In Canada, we like to think of uh, Charlottetown. Or rather, Prince Edward Island, I should say. Charlottetown is a town in Prince Edward Island. And this island on the East Coast, and that is considered the potato capital of Canada. Renowned for its potatoes is all I'm getting at. So at some point... See, I didn't know that. So that's why I was surprised that you knew about Idaho. I'm a worldly fellow. I try to uh, pay attention to things. America is omnipresent, so you just... I could probably tell you something about every state, just something I know. And that's why I asked if there was some... Industry, like I know about the potato stuff. Anyway, I didn't know if any is anyone famous besides you from from Boise. Is there like someone else who elicits hometown pride? Yeah, we got, pride? We got Kurt, Kurt, Curtis Steigers. Do you know him? I'm familiar with that name. Who's Curtis Steigers? It's a blanking on this. Yeah, he's like sort of a um, kind of a jazz guy, a saxophone oh. player. He was he had a he had a song on the Bodyguard soundtrack. I see. That's his claim to fame: the Bodyguard soundtrack. Well, that's that's maybe his most his uh, best selling album ever. But oh, okay, he, you know he he does stuff. Okay, um, so another yeah. musician. Any other? I'm, another musician. Well, I feel like we're blanking on something significant, and I don't know why I think that. <laughs> I don't think we are. <laughs> okay, so Boise is a smaller town. Um, is there hometown pride for Built to Spill at, in Boise? Do you are you aware of this beyond being asked to play this festival every year? <laughs> I don't know. I hope so. I hope I hope there's not hometown embarrassment, but um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I think uh, we've been around long enough that uh, a lot of people around here know who we are. Yeah. Well, I, I like I say, I'm happy to have you on the show. You're at by the way, you're at an Airbnb. You don't know people in Boise that you could stay with while you're waiting to start the tour. Well, there's a few of us, you know. It's like uh, oh, the whole band is. You don't want to, right? 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 Yeah, not the whole band, but there's there's four of us staying here. It's a bit to crash into people's lives, and mm. um, you know, over the over the course of uh, the lockdown and stuff, 
I'm just not real tight with very many people anymore. <laughs> oh, really? You, you, you've, you, because of the lockdown or just it was leading up to that kind of isolation anyway? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe a little of both. You know, you know how it is. You kind of get your own, you, you get, well, I get, uh, just sort of lead my own little life. And I'm not, I'm not that social, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Well, I feel kind of similar to you right now because uh, I grew up in Ontario, Canada lived there my whole life until uh, my wife is from Edmonton, Alberta. So uh, we lived in Ontario uh, for, she moved there for school. We met at university in, in the early 2000s. And then at the end, very end of 2019, like literally December 28th, we moved to Edmonton, Alberta. And then two months later, there's a pandemic. So I've known, I know no one really here except for my work colleagues. I don't go out much. Uh, to anything mm-hmm. I've been kind of all I'm getting at is I totally relate and I don't know how to feel about this isolation some of it self-imposed some of it just because I read the news as you register that you are living a little more isolated and aren't that close with everyone how does that impact you how do you feel about this you sound like you're at peace with it but can you elaborate yeah I mean I have uh, you know I have I have a girlfriend who lives in Portland that's why I'm living there now mm-hmm. and then I, have, I have some friends and I have the band people and stuff just <laughs> I have some friends here in Boise it's not that bad uh, my closest friends have a small place and little kids um, it's just not no one has a big place for a band to crash and, and I don't want to just crash at someone's place I kind of need my own life and I have stuff to do like these couple, couple days that I'm here at this Airbnb I'm working getting ready for tour and doing a bunch yeah. of stuff so i'm not really in a situation to uh be hanging out and and uh, visiting with with people yeah you're you're a self-propelled person in a lot of ways despite all the the band and the labels yep. and all the people helping you you figure that when did you yep. figure that out oh boy i gotta just do everything i can to make sure i get my work done and have few distractions do you know when you figure that out i'm Figuring it out. I mean, sometimes you just, I just get into a mode where I just, all I do is work and just try to think of what I got to do next, you yeah. know, and uh, it works out all right, but I don't, you know, I'm not cut out for this work, but I never, uh, you know, just never had a manager, never, my wife and I managed the band and neither of us really knew what we were doing or liked doing it. Then um, we split up a few years ago and now, um, we have a tour manager who does some stuff, but I, there's just a ton of stuff I have to do. I think if, if, you know, if the band had found someone when we first started that we got on with and trusted and understood what we were about and what we needed, I think it would have been nice to have a manager, but just never really found someone like that and just ended up all falling on my shoulders. Yeah, I, I'm can relate to what you're saying i find that i'm most satisfied when i'm able to just do what i think is going to make sense uh whether Mm -hmm. it's also i've come to trust myself because it usually works itself out so Mm -hmm. do you have that a little bit like you know i've been doing this a long time i think i know how to do it a little bit i mean i'm not i'm not good at any kind of bureaucratic stuff any kind of paperwork and tax things and you know and I do, I do keep track of things for accounting and I'm not good at it and it gives me a lot of stress yeah. but 
I just there's no one I know that can do it, and I'd have to explain everything to someone yeah. the whole time anyway. That's what I'm getting at. You know. It drives like, you to like auto- said, it drives you to yeah, autonomy exactly. to be like every time I involve four or yep. five people, something doesn't quite work. Like someone's not lifting their end of the couch mm-hmm. to my satisfaction, and I gotta lift it in myself. Sorry, that was a weird analogy, but uh, you are moving to Portland, so maybe that's why I <laughs> had yes. the moving analogy. Anyway. It is an interesting aspect of Built to Spill. Or sorry, this conversation to me leads into what I think is an interesting aspect of Built to Spill. I think it has been built up, no pun intended, uh, quite a bit. But the fact is you are the core person, the driving force behind what is a band uh, and has been a band for a long time. But meaning the other members, that's a constantly evolving lineup. Is that still your mindset about this band yeah mm-hmm. i want to i want to play with uh different people as yeah, the years right. go by mm-hmm. yeah and and that was from the get-go your mindset was that that was your view of things from 30 like 30 years ago this is what you envisioned right yeah when the band first started i had just come out of another band um called tree people and it was I don't know. There are diff- there's different reasons why I want to wanted to switch up the lineup. The first reason was that I was in Boise, or living in Caldwell, another little town here, for a brief time and thought that I was going to be moving to Montana or Colorado to follow my girlfriend to college. So I wanted to make a record, but I wanted to keep the name, so I figured I would find some new people wherever I ended up. And so that kind of was the idea. You know, and but it was it was because, you know, I grew up listening to David Bowie and I liked the way that he could make different records and play with different people. And there wasn't necessarily a sound that was his. And I didn't feel like I wanted to have a sound. I wanted to explore different things and have different influences and stuff in my in my music. And I also wanted to not get in too much of a whatever uh situation that comes up with human beings all spending so much time together i was in a band with a couple of brothers um Mm. so uh you know i just wanted to have uh (laughs) you know not not as little drama as possible human drama yeah this i don't i don't i think people by this point at least people who follow music know that the social dynamics in a band uh can make or break the band they can destroy the band brothers in particular Mm. Family mm-hmm. members. Who can forget uh, Credence Clearwater Revival? You know that story? Where the no. brothers... Oh, well, sorry. I don't even know that story. I just know... <laughs> I was just making something up. Didn't John Fogarty play with his brother or something and then it didn't work out? I feel like that's... No, I'm thinking of the Everleys. I, anyway, I'm getting all confused. People don't get along. It's sometimes hard. <laughs> the Bee Gees. The Bee Gees. The Bee Gees. How about the Bee Gees? They didn't Let's get along. Let's go with the Bee Gees, yeah. I, I mean, you become uh, siblings with your bandmates, too. Like, you become family... And yeah. um, I don't know, like, were you, you had that negative experience in Tree People, but did you see it festering in the early days of Built to Spill where, you, you know, you put a band together? No, no, no okay. not at all. And um, that, no, and, and it wasn't really a fully negative experience with Tree People either. You know, it's had its moments. Right. Um, but uh, I think... I just knew that there's that potential for that kind of stuff to happen. And I just wanted to, I wanted to keep it light and fun. Yeah. 
And just any group of people when you're together for so long, that just is going to fade away or maybe not always, but has a good yeah. chance of fading away. Um, and I ended up playing with, uh, you know, the same people for years and years. I played with the same rhythm section guys for, I don't know, 15 years or something. And a couple other guitar player guys that were joined a little later, but stayed in a little longer for 10 years or more. Um, so, you know, that I ended up playing with people a long time and then decided it was time to switch it up um, for various reasons. And, and since then, you know, I've gone through a couple iterations in the last few years and it's fun. It's fun to, it's fun to play with people too um, who are really excited to do it, you know, mm-hmm. where it's fun and new and, and that rubs off on me too. You mentioned David Bowie as a sort of lodestar in this approach to making music with others. And it's an interesting example because he has such an eclectic catalog, phases, eras, these sorts of things. Do you objectively see Built to Spill as having that over 30 years, or does it feel like somehow a very consistent sound and a consistent approach? Like, you're the constant. So I, I when I say objectively, I don't know if you can do this exercise But when I was listening in preparation for this, I was kind of re-listening to older albums and and contextualizing this one with those. And I'm like, I feel there's real great continuity here beyond Doug. Like to have Mm -hmm. this level of consistency with totally different, for the most part, totally different people is pretty remarkable. Sorry, I've given you my bias there. What do you make of what I'm saying? Do you see and hear that consistency in your work? Yeah, I mean, I'm not... I'm not, uh, I don't have the versatility that David Bowie had or the, you know, he's like a chameleon where he really did throw himself into like trying to do a specific kind of thing. I'm more like whatever comes out of me comes out of me. Yeah. Um, and I don't have much control or say over it or really even try to do any kind of thing, just whatever I come up with. But that being said, I feel like the records are pretty different, you know, from players to players and studios to studios and, what what I was doing at the time and my tendencies. But yeah, it's it's definitely not, you know, it's not <laughs> it's not as vers as as varied as David Bowie and it wasn't that wasn't necessarily the intention either. But t- there are different people playing on the records that bring their own thing to it for sure. I think the weird thing or maybe the sorry, the reason this becomes a talking point and forgive me if I'm spending too much time on this aspect of things. I just want to, I just, I always found it curious in my whole life. Like, oh, it's just, it's always changing. But one of the things you're talking about there now really resonates with me is that Bowie, Dylan, Neil Young, to some extent, beyond Crazy Horse, always playing with different people, always just playing with totally different people in their work. And it's quite remarkable uh, that no one, no one's like, oh, it, they get excited when they play with some of the familiar faces, but you just happen to name a thing a band. It's not Doug. <laughs> it's, it's it's built to spill. So I think we view it as a band, but to hear you talk about it, I think you view it as an entity the way those people view themselves as a person just playing with... Yeah, it's more of a... Exactly. It's more of a project than a band, I guess. Right. And then I feel, I feel though, that yeah, every time that it is a band, that I do definitely think of it as a band, if that makes any sense. Like, right. once the people are in it, this is the band, and this yeah. is what we are right now. You know, a few years ago, we were something a little different. A few years from now, we'll be something a little different. But 
we are a band at this at this moment. Do you believe in the concept of band chemistry? Absolutely, yeah. I mean that that was that was part of why I played with those guys for so long because I liked the idea of changing the band up, but I felt like we had something really cool going on. Yeah. When it was uh, me and Scott and Brett and yeah. uh and then Jim and Brett when it was the five of us, I felt like we had something really special happening and that there was a chemistry. Right. And, and I felt like it over overrode the 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 other the ideas of changing the band the ideas for changing the band and it was more important to have this chemistry than to have new ideas or to or to uh, avoid personal conflicts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I understand. So you mentioned that uh, the folks you played with were were uh, like you recognized that it was a band. Are you in touch with them? Were they okay with this notion, like from the get go, that built the spill was going to be evolving? as it did as it has been rather well i don't know i think that i think at first that was un- it was understood and then over time if, i think that everyone felt like we were just going to keep doing this and then um brett and scott just you know they just burnt out or hmm. something decided not to do it anymore so they moved on and we've replaced them and then we, and then the other guitar players, after a few years of doing it, basically came to a point where it wasn't really enough money for everyone to be able to do this for a living. It was okay money, but no one could really, we couldn't do this and not have other jobs yeah. too. Yeah. And that's why I decided to make it a three piece. And also, you know, I wanted to explore a little bit what a three piece would be like musically. Mm-hmm. And did that for a while and and then just wanted to switch it up, wanted to try something different, um, both for musical reasons and personal reasons. Thought it was that that, that, that three-piece had run its course. Right, but the new record is a three-piece again. Yeah, it is. It's uh, these Brazilian guys, though. Um, after I stopped playing with Jason and Steve, which was the... The guys who replaced Scott and Brett, mm-hmm. and we played as a five-piece, and then I played with a three-piece with those two. I had uh, shows booked in Brazil and no band, and so I met these these guys online and had them be, be, be the band in Brazil. We just practiced for a few days. They learned the songs, and I got there, and we practiced for a few days, and, and I loved it. I loved them. So I brought them over to the U.S. to tour for 2019. In the course of touring, we learned all the new songs, and they laid down their tracks before they flew back home to Brazil. That's and, uh, that's, rem- that's I, remarkable. I gonna, that's really remarkable in a way. Yeah, it was really fun. It was great. It was a real adventure. It was really cool. Um, and one of the it was actually there were three of them. There was a, a guitar player, but he ended up not playing on the record. Mm. Um, just the just the rhythm section. And uh, Le Almeida, the uh, drummer, he's, he plays guitar and sings in his band Ottawa and also puts out Le Almeida records. And he, they have a studio and, and a label and they've recorded tons of records. And I was really, I really love their recording style and their ideas, kind of lo-fi and just cool kind of crazy, weird things they would do with like filters or tape speed, just kind of make you know, do strange things to the recordings. 
Um, so the idea was to record with him and go down to Brazil and mix it with him. But with the COVID coming, I was we weren't able to do that. I had to finish it by myself here. We kind of sent stuff back and forth a little bit. But I wasn't able to go down to Brazil and really collaborate with them on that stuff. Oh, and let, like, oh, I see. Joao, the bass player, spent a lot of time in America growing up, so he speak, spoke perfect English mm-hmm. as well. And Lay, Lay didn't speak English at all; he only spoke spoke Portuguese. So it was interesting and fun to be in a band for a year with someone that we didn't speak the same language. And sometimes we'd have people interpret, but he never seemed to really like doing that very much. Hmm. You know, he seemed to. I think he found it kind of tiresome. So mostly we just kind of give each other looks and, you know, we we each knew a couple words in each other's language and that was about it. That's remarkable in itself. I mean, it really speaks to, I don't want to be hokey about this, but you were communicating with music. It sounds like more, sure. more than anything. Like, sorry, it's always on my mind because uh, my son takes piano lessons somewhat begrudgingly and I've tried to explain that music is a communication device it's a language like you can it's a language like you learn how to play piano mm-hmm. and someone else knows how to play saxophone or drums like you can instantly start a conversation and uh mm-hmm. sorry i don't mean to tell you my parenting tips but uh <laughs> just fresh on my mind because it sounds like you had that exact experience yeah uh, for sure. non-verbal non-verbal communication so is that your, how many times have you played in brazil um we played down there i I was down there. We played like two or three shows, and then, and then was that your went, first time? Was that your first time in Brazil? Though, yeah, that was wow. my our first time south of the border at all. Um, wow! And and then and then I went back um, in early two thousand. That was in two thousand eighteen, the fall. And then a few months later, I went back to rehearse with them to be sure if I wanted to bring them over to be the band for for the for the tour in America and Europe and we played yeah. another show while I was there that time. Well, it's a sorry and just to to clarify you said that uh, uh there's some remarkable recording techniques going on in Brazil. Did you did you guys capture any of this record down there or did you do most of it up no, here? Yeah, we just it? did oh, it all okay. I did it all here and then you know, we used some of Lele had some ideas and João they there's some some of their kind of techniques ended up on the record a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a fantastic sounding record uh, is where I was coming from. And uh, I pick up on all sorts of different sounds like the, the gonna, gonna Lose starts the record. Fantastic beginning. And it really sounds like Thanks. a mighty power trio, uh, if, if you will, like in the vein of like uh, Jimi Hendrix or something. Or, I mean, I picked up a bit of Zeppelin. I don't know if that you that resonates with you. Um, but like it, it, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic sound. Um, were you surprised by what they brought to the table given, you know, that you didn't know them, you met them online. Uh, did they just dig into your ideas right away or was it very collaborative, um, in the sense that they brought things that surprised you? Yeah, both. Um, they were, they knew, uh, our music, so they kind of had an idea of what built spills supposed to be about. Um, but they also, you know, had their own influences and stuff there, you know, they, they were, they're like 10 years younger than me and kind of into, they're real into like uh, guided by voices and, um, you know, other sort of kind of lo-fi pop punk kind of stuff. Yeah. And also, but they're also Brazilian and also like, you know, love traditional 
Brazilian psychedelic rock and, and, you know, just traditional Brazilian music. So they brought a little bit of both of those things, you know, like really got where I was coming from and just the built to spill aesthetic, but put their own little spin on it a little bit. I think the thing that stands out most about them to me is it's more laid back than any other built to spill band. I think it's just a little, just kind of mellower laid back on the on the on the drums especially hmm. Liz drumming i find i found it i find it i'm a drummer so i find it uh, a bit mm-hmm. explosive at times uh it's funny that you nice like there's groove it's totally groove oriented but i feel mm-hmm. like every once in a while i'm just like oh it's like an explosion i think that song in particular cool. gonna lose uh he's showing he, there's a little showiness there that i like <laughs> mm-hmm. nice <laughs> yeah. good yeah, I, 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 I love, and like I said, he was a guitar player. Like I thought he was going to be the bass player or the guitar player, second guitar player when we were, when we went over there and yeah. he was like, decided he wanted to be the drummer and I'm <laughs> glad he did. I think he's an amazing drummer. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Did the sound of the record or rather the music you made together, uh, influence what you came up with lyrically and vocally, or did you have those things in mind already? These songs were a hundred percent written by the time I started playing with these guys. I just showed them to them. Lyrically, everything was done. Yep. Okay. I, I'm curious about that because you mentioned the laid back quality. And, uh, when I think about some of the lyrical motifs, um, it seems very introspective. Uh, a lot of dream stuff comes up. I find when I'm sort of pondering what you're singing about. And I just wondered if, uh, and I, I don't know if you if you find this to be a, a, a negative term or a pejorative term. A psychedelia, I will say, like when I hear the music, some of it sounds psychedelic. I'm putting that in air quotes for those listening. Uh, and then when I think about some of your mind expansion lyrics, or your lyrics are rather about dreams and mind expansion, I see the connection there. So I wondered which came first, <laughs> mm-hmm. the kind of hazy music or the hazy thoughts if you will can you expand upon that well um yeah i mean i always come up with the music first and lyrics later but i've always liked psychedelic stuff and i've always felt built to spill had some psychedelic things going on yeah and these guys you know these guys get that too these guys are definitely into psychedelic sounds and um so you know it's just all you know they they got it they could tell you know if a song should have kind of a psychedelic feel to it. So it all seemed real natural. It seemed to just come, you know, I, I play the songs, they join in and jam and, and just immediately was good. And over time that we'd make little adjustments, but they just, they just get, got it. It really just was, was effortless. uh, Yeah. On on their part. Yes. I guess where I'm coming from is your, it sounds like it was all written and it was done on your end of things. I guess where I'm coming from also is uh, maybe where you feel like this batch of songs lyrically might mm-hmm. have come from because it's a, it's a, like I say it's a bit of a search I hear searching in it I hear uh, mindfulness but also like existential pondering like those sorts of things uh, I don't want to draw too fine a line to this but you mentioned uh, your your marriage uh, dissolved um, uh, is this your first batch of songs since that occurred. Yeah, but this is like most of this stuff is written while we were still together. It's okay. I think it's to me it's pretty standard built to spill lyrics, you know. It's I think I think it's stuff that I've been 
same kinds of things I've been talking about from the from the beginning. Consistency again. Yeah. You are a consistent yeah. writer. Okay, so when you look at this, I don't know. Like I, I, I romantically maybe as a music fan think of records as little markers in time for the artist. Uh, records, do, um, records, records of time, but also like documentation, almost like public. Um, they can be if you if you choose your uh, if you choose to look at them songs this way they're all, they can be like little diary entries that someone's sharing with you uh, as you ponder these songs and are getting used to singing them do you feel like you've learned something about yourself or is there something you were getting at that you're finally processing at this point well I guess I feel like lyrically nothing has changed much I feel like I've always been sort of without being too personal and in exposing too much of myself it's more been about kind of universal experiences hmm. that are kind of personal and private or whatever i see I okay i feel like i've always kind of done that like it's really not about me it's like about any of us but it but but it is like personal things that we all go through i guess maybe yeah i i think when you it's an interesting point you're raising because you can talk about universal things, but if you're talking about them, it's your perspective on them. Mm-hmm. Like it is personal. I get that, even if you're trying to speak on behalf of others. But there's this song "Understood" that I can't shake, and it gets in my head all the time. And it really seems to be about communication in a lot of ways. Some of the things you say here, and I think there's some typos in what they sent me, but you know, this notion of the deaf hear, the blind see, um, or the de- what is it? Just different things than you and me. Sorry, there's the typo. Uh, the deaf can hear, uh-huh. the blind can see. That's what I've been told, and that's what I believe. That's interesting. Like you, you're. It's an assertive sort of comment, but it's also resigned to like I just gotta. We just gotta do what we're told, or or what we we understand what we understand, and it's a bit out of our control. But at the same time, you're saying <laughs> like I know that this is a, a fact. Anyway, I just think that's curious in a time where we're really wrestling with how to communicate and understand information. Uh, that just stuck mm-hmm. out for me. Um, can you talk a little bit about that song? Because I also understand it may have been influenced by an experience you had with, or, or rather, uh, uh, your your reading of Evil Can Evil in some way. Is that correct? Is that that song? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's one of with a, with most of our songs. I'm kind of jumping all over with lyrics. I'm not sticking to a single subject. Um, and this this is an example of that where sometimes I'm talking about evil Knievel jumping the canyon <laughs> in, a, in a rocket bike yeah. and not making it over. And sometimes I'm talking about that, <laughs> which is, I, I think it's kind of from like the, there's a Werner Herzog uh, documentary about deaf blind people. Mm-hmm. And he talks about that in that where like they do like, like, you know, blind people, there's like shapes and colors or, you know, stuff going on. They just don't see the world. Oh, right. And deaf people have just like, you know, sound, you know, whatever, washing noises or whatever kind of happen for them. You know, it's just they don't hear what we hear. There's hmm. there's something there, though, that pe- they do hear and see. It's just not... You know, the the outside world, I guess. I can see you being fascinated. So was it the Herzog documentary that prompted you to articulate that? 
Yeah, you know, it was like I don't write very many lyrics. I write just enough to make songs. I'm not a writer. I'm not a poet at all. And that was just like, you know, when I when I somehow thought of or heard someone say the blind can see the deaf hear. To me, that was like the best lyrics that I'd ever written or yeah. something, you know, like yeah. I, I ended up using it in three songs on the record. One of the songs didn't make it onto the record, but it's on another one of the songs on the record. I used the same line just cause I like that, that notion of, of, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever it is. It's, it's absolutely poetic and it, it, um, in its own way, it's very empathetic too. I think, Doug, there will be people, fans in particular yours, hearing you say you're not a poet, you're not a writer, and being like, what's he talking about? It's like 30 years I've been spending with this fellow and his words. Are you being modest, or do you just not see yourself well, as having that role? I guess I guess, um, I think of a poet as someone that it just comes right out of. You know, I, I'm proud of the, the lyrics that I've written, and I think I've written some nice ones. And, but I struggle. It's like it's pulling teeth. It's years and years. I don't, I don't have a, a notebook with that I go to to, to find lyrics. Um, all these ideas of things I want to write about. For me, it's just like it's a struggle. Hmm. And eventually, you know, I, if I didn't have to write lyrics, or if I could, if I knew how to write lyrics like a poet, I would have a lot more records out. I have so many songs that just are waiting for some words that that. that that, you know, means something to me. Uh, for what it's worth, and you don't know me, uh, I think you do know how to write lyrics. <laughs> if I might say, I, I think like, you've done a very admirable job of that. Thanks. Even if, no, I, if you're, I, yeah. I, 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 like I said, I am. I like the ones that I've written, but it just yeah. it takes me a long time to do it. I haven't written them in a long time, and I sit down with a. I have songs that I've sat down with that I can't wait to play for people. And I've sat down with them a hundred times and tried to come up with words and nothing's there. Eventually there will be some words there and, you know, hopefully people will listen to it and say, oh, these lyrics are great. What, what are you complaining about? Well, I'm complaining because it took me hundreds and hundreds of hours to come up with those handful of lyrics. Do you have particular um, songwriting influences that uh, you draw upon uh, or think of even subconsciously, if not consciously? When you do have to, you know, are assigned, you're self-assigned to sit down and write your lyrics. Are there people that come to mind? Probably less over time, you know. Over over time, I feel like I've, I just kind of have my own thing now a little bit. But yeah, I mean, for sure, I have tons of influences from when I was younger, you know. I I was listening to your your Daniel Johnson album. The, the songs of Daniel Johnson. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I see connections there more than I thought uh, or realized on, on some level. Um, and, and even in your, like the other thing with your words is a lot of it, the emotion is conveyed in how you sing, um, if I may. So it's not only the words on the page, it's like your delivery is so striking and compelling to me as a singer. And that has also been relatively consistent as well. I, I can I can already sense that you might undersell this <laughs> based on the lyrical stuff, but are you feeling good about your singing these days? Like, are you feeling like it's and it's maintained a a standard that you're happy with? Yeah, I feel I I, I when I'm singing, I feel really good about it. When I listen back to it, not so much. 
But I think that I'm a better singer now than I was when I was younger. Listening mm. to the early records, I don't really like the quality of my voice. Part of it was me trying to figure out what I was doing and trying to maybe trying to sing like other people and not really having that in me. Some of it was trying to like, I feel like on some records, like Perfect From Now On or Keep It Like a Secret, the first Warner Brothers records, I was so insecure about my voice and my pitch. I feel like I worked so hard to get the pitch of my voice right that the quality, the the soulfulness or whatever of my voice got lost in a lot of that stuff. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit regretful that I didn't sing those songs as as well as I feel like I sing them live now. So over time, is it's a matter of identifying what you see as a problem and like bridging the gap, I guess, between the passion and the technical skill, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just like totally like what you're physically able to do. And, yeah. you know, when you're young, you kind of like, you're like, well, you think you get to pick what you do, you know, you think you get to pick what you're going to be, <laughs> you know, who you want to emulate. Yeah. And then you can't, not everyone is physically equipped to emulate the things they want to emulate. And I think that's what eventually I started to understand was just for know, just what my vocal cords are capable of. Yeah, just for background on that, who were you emulating at the time? I think I wanted to sing when I was younger. I wanted to sing like, I don't know, kind of different people. But like I, I always thought Paul Westerberg was a great singer. I would have loved to be able to sing like him and thought I could when I was in tree people and I don't really know. I don't, I don't know who I think I was emulating as, as built the spill got going. Well, I think, I think, uh, Isaac from modest mouse was a big Isaac influence Brock? for me. Yeah. I, well, af, yeah. After I heard, heard them, I was like, that's a cool way to sing. And well, you know, I tried, tried to sing like him. The Westerberg, uh, influence is an interesting one. Um, particularly for those encountering the new album, because you sing in a very high register I guess Paul could do that sometimes, but he mostly had this guttural. Mm, mm-hmm. No, he had quite a range, but I don't think he ever sang as consistently high as you do. Is that fair? Probably, yeah. I mean, he's had like a he had gravel in his voice, and I just you know I don't have any now, and I I did a little bit when I was younger, but it wasn't as cool a gravel <laughs> as his. <laughs> Absolutely distinctive gravel. Uh, one of the greatest uh, singers. Uh, unfortunately, I think, uh, well, whatever. It's the legacy. You, we don't have to rehash the replacement's legacy, but a lot of self sabotage there. Unfortunately, I think is all I was yeah, getting at. Exactly. There. Uh, have you mm-hmm. you've been able to avoid? Here's a weird blunt question I was going to ask you, and it follows what we were maybe just talking about because I was going to say you seem to have avoided some of these pitfalls that have befallen people like Paul Westerberg. Uh, but as I talked about the psychedelia and some of the references on the record. Uh, let me bluntly ask you uh, there, Doug. Do you like drugs? <laughs> well, I've I've enjoyed myself a little bit of psychedelic drugs here and there. Is that a, is that a, is that still a part of your practice, so to speak? Uh, not so much anymore. But okay, yeah, I, I I'd probably still do something. Yeah. Okay. So, you does it help you creatively though, or is it just no? It's the, for it's for another time. Yeah. Creatively, <laughs> I don't think I can. I don't think I could work on uh, on on any psychedelic drug. 
But the weird thing about the psychedelic drugs, forgive me, I've never done the psychedelic. I don't do. I'm, I've been straight edge most or whatever. I'm not quite straight edge, but whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I've never partaken. And sometimes I'm like, ah, maybe I should just do it, see what happens. But I have control issues, and I feel like I would lose my mind. I would probably lose mm-hmm. my mind. That's how I feel. But my thing is, uh, uh, the cliche is that uh, certain people would do such things, and then they would have these creative. Uh, output, you know, something would happen. Uh, your case, and what I can tell from some of the lyrics here, is I feel like you're calling upon those experiences. You're not writing as you're having the experience, but when you write, you think of that experience. Like it, it is vivid. These are vivid experiences that you still can retain. Is that right? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's I think it stuff kind of moves too fast when you're in a psychedelic experience to really be creative. I mean, I know that people do, people have, and people do, but my experience has been that, you know, <laughs> or, or that whatever, whatever, uh, meaning and you, that you're, that you feel like you're having with the thing you're creating. Once you are not high anymore, you just realize it's not as cool as you thought it was. It's the, it was, it was something was happening in your mind that was making it cool and the thing itself wasn't necessarily very very inspired i see you know there's like okay. a lot of research going on now with uh psychedelics and um therapy yeah. and stuff and i think that uh i think that people are, are opening their minds to it and uh that it can be a people are starting to understand that it can be a really helpful tool to for all kinds of things going on um, inside us psychologically and, and so on. There's a new, uh, is it a series? I haven't watched it yet, but there's a new Michael Pollan thing on Netflix about this. Do you know what I'm referring to? Hmm, I don't. Oh, he's got, it's either a documentary series or it's one documentary, but it's really talking about exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And in, with its release, there was a lot of mainstream coverage of this idea that mm-hmm. actually uh, treating people for trauma and depression with uh, psychedelics actually cures them. Um, mm-hmm. And anyway, I'm only, just so people understand where I'm coming from, in the song Gonna Lose, which we've alluded to already on this uh, new record, When the Wind Forgets Your Name, there's this line, what could be more disorienting than being on acid in a dream? That's bringing the worlds together. So <laughs> that surrealism is a part of your lyrical motif here is all I'm getting at. And I wondered why um and dreams in general you're someone who tracks your dreams keeps track of your dreams remembers your dreams i think about my dreams yeah i think i mean that was just silliness like two completely disorienting things happening at the same time um yeah (laughs) doesn't really mean anything okay fair enough guitar wise i mean you've got these people to play with on this record uh your guitar playing is distinctive in its own right um in terms of your approach to these particular songs and where they were coming from. Do you have a sense of where that came from, This the, the, the psychedelic and dreamy aspects of even your guitar work here? Yeah, I mean, I might have ideas of what I think guitars should sound like, but then when I pick one up and start playing it, I can only do me, you know? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of struggles of trying to, trying to make certain sounds and just... You know, basically, I'm just kind of stuck with whatever comes out, and I can mess around for a long time and see if anything different comes out. But 
you know, it's a pretty limitless instrument, but you know, for me, it's it's a definitely a limited instrument. You find um, it limited. You were talking earlier about this sort of self analysis of your singing and how to improve mm-hmm. that. And you're making a little. You've, you've made a self effacing remark about your guitar playing. Uh, is it is it a challenge for you still? Do you feel like you're you're a better guitar player than you've ever been, or are you alluding to the fact that it's limitless? But you find it, you pick it up some days, and you're like, I hate this thing. I can't play it. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, do you have these conflicts? Yeah. Again, I th- you know I think I've gotten better. And, you know, I I wasn't. I had a really hard time doing what I wanted back then, and now I just kind of accept it more and understand what I'm able to do and. You know, I don't ever, I don't really ever hate it, but I also feel like I, I, like I, I'm not able to push it in directions that I want to sometimes, you know, like I hear other people playing and I'm not able to emulate people. Some people can grab a guitar and emulate whatever they're, whatever they want, you know, oh, you want to play this style? I can do it. I'm not that kind of player. I'm, yeah, I have limits for whatever reason. Um, I try to push them, but I'm kind of. I'm just, again, I can only do me on the guitar. Were you trained on the guitar? Did you take lessons or anything? No, I was shown how to play chords and shown scales and then just kind of did it on my own. Okay. So again, self-propelling. It's admirable. And, and But I also... No, it's I, neither here nor there. <laughs> no, but I understand the self-effacement that comes from learning something yourself. Because you, I, I have that insecurity playing drums. No one's ever taught me, and uh, mm-hmm. I've learned from watching people and just doing it and making records and all that sort of stuff. But it does sometimes occur to me that I that voice in the back of my head that's like, eh, "You don't really know what you're doing," because no one taught me. So, do you yeah. have that a little bit? Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I'm confident. I mean, I do this for a living. Yeah. I go play in front of people every night, and I make records that get released. So I have. I have some confidence, but I also, I'm just being honest and realistic, you know, you can can go down to guitar center and find three or four people there that play way better than me. I just happened to stumble into this, you know, world and, you know, I, I like the way I play. I like the way I sing, but there's limits to it and it's not for everyone. <laughs> so it, it is fast. I just understand that. Yeah. It's fascinating. The guitar center example, because yeah, any music store you go into, there's someone shredding in some corner of the room, but then they don't, mm-hmm. that's what they do. They don't, I don't know. There's something where they, they can play, but they don't always have the passion. I think people are drawn to people like you yeah. because they pick up on the passion. Yeah, and I mean, I, I also just had a lot of luck and, you know, I ran into the right, met the right people and, hmm. you know, to to help me, push push me along and teach me and show me what's important about music and yeah. about how to, and just how to treat people and, you know, so much of like even being able to get along with people in order to do this is like, uh, I don't feel like it's my, like I earned it or anything i feel like i just was lucky to be born with a certain disposition or yeah learn you know like to me it all just seems arbitrary how i ended up where i am <laughs> i think you know, that's like i don't i don't take any responsibility for any of it i feel like it just ended up happening you know well that's one way to look at it it makes you that's probably a chill way to look at life i'm just doing my best <laughs> here i'm not going to get all worked up uh speaking of um laid back vibes 
uh, Rocksteady on this album. Uh, I think some may view it as a departure. I know you have interest in, in reggae and this kind of music. Um, do you view it as a departure? Does it feel in line with... It, it does stick out on the record, but um, do you yeah, view it as it a departure? Yeah. Yeah, it seems like the most like a real outlier to me for sure. And where did it sort of come from, so to speak? Why did you choose to, I mean, would you agree with the sort of basic notion that it's the most genre signifying <laughs> type of song on the record perhaps? And if so, where did, why, why, why did the song come about and why is it here? Well, it's not really rock steady, but it sounds, it reminds me of rock steady, but it's, I don't really. It's, I don't think it's a reggae song. But it reminds me of reggae songs. Okay. Um, and I don't know. I tried to make it. I just felt like the main riff is just all that really matters. And when I tried to make fill it up with guitars and stuff, I felt like I just wanted to hear it. That simple riff playing through it. This is and, a this yeah. is a this is a in terms of the 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 singing and uh, the lyrics. This is one that made me think of Daniel Johnson again. I like waking up Saturday because I'm all I'm forgetting all my troubles behind. Like it has this sort of I don't know how else to put it. Just like uh, almost childlike. Is that a fair way of like just like stepping away from the world? And it's got innocence to it. Sorry, I don't have a question here. It's just an observation and. Uh, it it just works well with the laid back groove, if you will. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, I mean, most of the lyrics are kind of downer lyrics, even though it's kind of a happy sounding song. And I don't know. I mean, yeah, I I, I like it. I'm I'm proud of that song. <laughs> I think I'm, I think the lyrics turned out good, and maybe the song's a little too slow. I, maybe I wish it was a little bit faster. It might drag a little bit, but other than that, I think it turned out pretty good. Well, you can correct that on tour. You can up the BPM. <laughs> Make it just a little more up-tempo. Uh, so the record is is great. Uh, we've covered aspects of it. Is there anything more you want to say about it? Is there anything we've missed or something you want to convey about this wonderful uh, batch of songs? Um. Yeah, I don't. There's nothing that comes to mind. I guess uh, I'm really proud of the um, Alex Graham artwork. Um, yes, yeah, so she's a great cartoonist. Yeah, you got an actual cartoonist to make your album art, which is remarkable. Yeah. How did that come about? Oh, I just discovered her um, comic Dog Biscuits on Instagram during the 2020 part of the pandemic, mm. and. Uh, I was looking for art and fell in love with her comic and and yeah and and I wanted the title of the album comes from one of the songs it's when the wind forgets your name and it seemed like kind of a serious pretentious title <laughs> and uh, I wanted some artwork that that could sort of juxtapose that so I thought something colorful and silly would be would be good to fit with that title and in her art is like that. What do you suppose prompted you to be so serious and pretentious in, in, in uh, <laughs> you know, giving the, an album title is always telling to me it's the gateway into a record, but it's, it is the conceptual umbrella, whether you like it or not. Why did that title stick out for you as, 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 as one that could house uh, this particular batch of songs? Well, I also thought it was sad and beautiful and um, I thought it was, I thought it was, a great title 
even if it was a little bit on the serious <laughs> side. I it yeah, I I think it's great. And uh anyway, it's it's just a wonderful record. I'm so glad you're you're out there doing things, Doug. Um it, where what's sort of next? You've got you mentioned you're going on tour. So that's good news. Uh and you haven't written anything new. Is that what you also said you're waiting for the next inspiration to strike? Yeah, well, I'm so busy just uh, touring and just dealing with life and stuff. Um, but I still tr- try to write. And I have, like I said, I have a handful of, uh, I don't know if I oh, said right. it to you. I have a handful yeah. of ideas, songs that I just need to come up with some words. And every once in a while, I take a crack at it. And I assume at some point I'll, I'll uh, be able to finish them up. Okay. So we'll keep an eye on that. If people want to keep track of Built to Spill uh, on telephones and computers and newspapers even, where 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 would you like to send them uh, in terms of uh, their best sources of info? Hmm, I guess Instagram and Facebook. I think we kind of do those things. Um, website? You got a website? There is a website. I don't really know what happens there, but there's a website. Our website has all our lyrics. If you want to read the, if you're curious about lyrics and you want the actual lyrics from uh, from my hand, you can find those there. Oh, I would encourage people. You mean for the new album in particular, or the whole? For all, I, I I did the whole catalog recently. Okay, nice, good for you. Well, I encourage people to read the new ones. I I find, as I hope you understand and I've conveyed, I find the new ones. Uh, particularly fascinating. Uh, Thanks. Well, so, the, the, yeah. the, they're not there. <laughs> <laughs> Are they going to be at some point? They will be. That's a good idea. I'm going to get on that. I'm going to get those okay. over there as soon as I can. A little bit of a gave you. This is the whole point of this interview was to give you a project. Uh, that's why they asked me to talk to you. Sub Pop. Also, this is sort of significant news. You're on Sub Pop Records, and that I understand you're excited about that. And as a fan, is that true? Yeah, of course, totally. Yeah. Um, course i grew up with sub pop and my experience there has been really great everyone there is awesome and feels nice. like uh feels like they really care about the um the music they work on yeah well subpop.com i guess is where people can go to learn about your record and and that label and all those sorts of things uh doug if we can go out on a song uh from the album uh which uh, will be out uh on September 9th, uh, is there a song you can choose for us? And if so, can you explain uh, why you chose it? I don't know. How about how about Rocksteady, since we talked about that being such an outlier? And people now, this, can decide if it's too slow or not for themselves. <laughs> it, I love that you pick the outlier. Most people in this promotional cycle world are like, oh, I better pick the thing. You pick the outlier. I like it. The album cut, if you will. Uh, that is going to mystify people. That's good. That says something about you, Doug, if I might say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's play. This is Rock Steady by Built to Spill uh, from their beautiful and excellent new record, When the Wind Forgets Your Name. Uh, Doug, this is truly a, an honor and a pleasure for me. I hope you enjoyed yourself, and I wish you the best luck with everything in the future. Yeah, thanks, Vish, for reaching out.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thanks again to Doug March from Built to Spill for being on the show. You know, if I recall correctly, after this was done, Doug told me that this might be the first time he's ever done a podcast. Someone can fact check that. I'm. That's what my memory is telling me. Which, if that's the case, how exciting is that for us? Well, it is for me. I, I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, th- thank you once again, Doug, for appearing on this the 713th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One podcast network and is available uh, wherever all of you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook and follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative. You can also follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation, uh, which is the primary source of revenue for this podcast. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content, including early episode drops. Uh, That's what I've been trying to do as my schedule permits. Get the show up uh, to the Patreon people earlier than uh, it goes out to all the other uh, pod platforms. So that's at uh, $6 or more a month. Uh, again, you can uh, modify your donation. You can pay for up to a year. Um, you can do all sorts of things. It's very flexible and it's very appreciated. So thank you very much. Uh, and if you are interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, message me on Patreon uh, once you've made your donation and I'll see what I have left in stock and I'll get you one while supplies last. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer, Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about and visit. By the way, you can visit it in Calgary and Edmonton, Alberta, but you can learn more about it and order things at their website, blackbird.ca. also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this podcast. Thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie, who's a big Built to Spill fan. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. Uh, the music you're hearing behind me is by Jim. He does a lot of great stuff. JimGuthrie.org for more, more info about Jim. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode featuring Doug from Built to Spill. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll check out uh, the excellent new Built to Spill album and go through their discography. It was fun uh, preparing for this interview and revisiting albums I hadn't listened to in a little bit. 
and the new one's so great. And as you can hear, Doug is a kind and thoughtful fellow. So thank you for uh, engaging with this episode and for subscribing to this podcast and following it and me and all those sorts of things and telling your friends to do the same. I hope you're well and uh, be safe and all those things and, and happy and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.